But uh, last week, you know, I did, um, that message was very corrective. Uh, and I started to beat myself up after. You know, I was like, man, I shouldn't have been so harsh on stuff and things like that. But listen, here, here's what God spoke to me. He said, I'm seeing if I can trust you all as a church with correction. Because how many knows on the other side of correction, if, if my child, if Graham, my nine-year-old, receives correction well, how many knows on that other side of, the, of that correction I just administered to him is a new level of freedom that he didn't have before? All right. So with this, with this teaching, there's been a lot of correction, but on the other side of it is a new level of freedom like you've never known. All right, so, so I, we want to get into that, and I think today we're going to get to the practicality of things, but I want to do a review first. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, uh, it says, all Scripture. So how much of Scripture? All. all Scripture. So it's not just the New Testament. Because when Paul says this, all we have is Genesis through Malachi. All right? And we established this the first week we did that, um, that we did this series. Paul considered what he was teaching to be scripture. Peter considered what Paul was teaching to be scripture. So they did have the New Testament in, in the sense of it was rotating around the churches, but in book form, all they had was Genesis through Malachi, right? And so he's sitting here saying that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that word inspiration of God, it's one Greek word and it literally means it's as if you're saying it's breathed by God. I can, every word I speak, breath is released. So what this means is not that, oh, you know, God just inspired the writers. It is literally saying that all Scripture is the Word of God. All right? And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All right? Now, we're going we're gonna to talk about something here in a second, but let's read verse 17 that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I do, I want to clarify something uh, as we start. When we're talking about the value of the scriptures and the importance of the scriptures in your life, we are not talking about an issue of this is what makes you righteous before God. I am so passionate and I know Jeremiah is, we're, we're passionate about the, the teaching of faith righteousness. You have to have that established in your heart. This book will not profit you the way God wants it to profit you until in your heart you are established in faith righteousness. And all that is, that means the only thing that makes me right in the sight of God is my faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. But what we're dealing with here is completion, or that word could be translated maturity. And we're dealing with maturity and equipping. So we're not dealing with something for righteousness. We're dealing with something, notice what it said in verse 16, in righteousness. So there's a way that I should approach the scriptures in righteousness. All right, Legalism approaches scriptures for righteousness. Right? Jesus got onto the Pharisees over that. He said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, right? So their whole, their whole reason uh, in, in searching the Scriptures was they thought, this makes me righteous before God. 
This book doesn't make you any more righteous. If you've, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that's what makes you righteous. All right? But we're dealing with maturity. So this, remember, I've told you guys, this is the way I read the Bible. So if it makes a statement such as all scriptures given that you might be mature and equipped, then I do the opposite also, and I think, so without all scripture, then I can't be mature, and I can't be thoroughly equipped. So if there's any part of the scripture that you are limiting yourself to, if there's a part of the scripture that you are avoiding, that you are afraid of, whatever it is, you can only grow so much. But if you give all Scripture free reign to minister to your heart, that is when you can mature. And that is when you're equipped for every good work. All right. So let me say this. Talking about righteousness, there is a path for the believer. The, the believer's walk, let's call it the path of righteousness. The book of Proverbs talks about the path of righteousness. Now, righteousness is not just right standing with God. That's the beginning. Everything flows from that. But righteousness is done, it, it, what, it's a work. Righteousness is work. I'm not saying you work for it, that's all I'm saying, but it's a work that God does inside of the believer's heart. All right. And so there is a path called righteousness. Now, the word righteous, now we tend to use the definition just as it should be, that's good, I use that. But when you look at the word righteousness, what it really means is as it should be. And I love something Jeremiah said a few, few weeks back in a Thursday service. He said, so you're right with God, and then that means you're called to do what is right in every situation. See, that's powerful. That's important that we know that, that we need instruction in righteousness. So the Scripture is not the path of righteousness, right? Let's say this is the believer's walk. This is the path of righteousness. What the Scripture is, is the Scripture is a light. And it shows me that path. And it shows me whether or not I'm on that path. Does that make sense? So the Scripture says, all right, this is the righteous path. This is the righteous walk. But then the Scripture will also show me, okay, I'm over here and I should be over there. This is not righteous. I can be righteous, but this is not righteous. This is not the right place, the right thing uh, to be doing in this situation. Now, let me clarify this about what I'm going to share this morning, what I shared last week. This is not an attempt to get you back under the law. And I think that is important. And the reason I talk a lot about the Old Testament when I minister these messages is because for those of us who have come into an understanding of grace, we've come into an understanding of the New Covenant, we're, 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 our hearts established in faith righteousness, it just so happens that's the part of the Bible we tend to be afraid of. So that's the reason I kind of talk a lot about that. And so, but this isn't an attempt to place you back under the law. But we do need to understand the difference in the spirit and the letter. The letter is not the Old Testament. And the spirit is not the New Testament. Now that's the way I may have even taught it that way before. That's, that's not it. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. I want to go here first. Uh, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. So notice that that ministry, the old covenant, 
there was glory to that ministry so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So the old covenant was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit, which is the new covenant, not be more glorious? Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil, notice that word veil, over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. And verse 14, but their what? Their minds were blinded. For until this day, look here, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Listen, there is a difference in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. There's a difference in them. Because the Old Covenant is that which was passing away. The Old Testament is not that which is passing away. How do I know that? Because the veil is taken away in, uh, in Christ. And it goes on to say, verse 15, let's jump down to that. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. The issue, verse 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the idea is that these people would still read the Old Testament. But now they approach the Old Testament with a liberty. And that's what the next verse would say. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Where there used to be a veil when reading the Old Testament, now the veil is removed. All right? But notice he he indicates here that these people would still read the Old Testament. This is where Paul got his gospel. Now, I shared this with you guys. We teach, I've heard it taught a lot, and I I don't know if I've said it in the past. I probably have. That, you know, Paul got saved. He was hidden in a cave for three years, called up to the third heaven, and that's where he received uh, the gospel of grace. There's one problem with that. There's no scripture that says that. There's scripture that says he did three years in Arabia, but there's no scripture that says that is where he received the mystery of the gospel. Where did he receive the mystery of the gospel from? When you read the book of Acts, he made it his habit. Every Sabbath, he was in the synagogue teaching them out of the scriptures. There's where he was revealing to them the mystery. All right. So there's a difference in the spirit and the letter. Let me put it this way. There is the interpretation. I know I'm being wordy, but this is going to get really practical. There is the interpretation of a verse. There is only one interpretation for every verse in the Bible. Because no scripture can be of any private interpretation. There's only one interpretation for every verse in the Bible. But there are an innumerable amount of application for every verse in the Bible. A verse can mean speak something different to me than it does something to you. And I shared this last week, and this is a true statement. If you take the text out of context, all you're left with is is a con. That's a true statement. We need to teach things in context. But what I want to say to my fellow grace people is there's many grace people who are being conned 
by the con in context. Because we're so stuck on the, the interpretation that we, that we forget that the word is alive. Can I, give you exa- can I give you an example of what I mean? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. See, doctrine always has to stick to the interpretation. You can never make a doctrine out of your application. All right? But now the word is alive. And let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. Am I not an apostle? Paul speaking here. Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense is to those who examine me as this. So Paul is being criticized, all right, and he's defending his, his, his ministry. He's defending himself. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brother of the Lord and, and Cephas, who is Peter, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? In other words, so what he's talking about here, this is the situation. This church, there's people in this church who have a problem with the minister receiving an offering, receiving a salary maybe. They're saying that's not right. That's that's not okay. They shouldn't be doing that. And Paul's saying, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working and receive an offering for our ministry and receive a salary for our ministry? Verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense. In other words, if you sign up for the military today and they call you to war tomorrow, they don't say go buy your own gun. All right? So look here. Um... Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? We planted a garden, we eat of it, right? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? So think about it. Paul's dealing with a financial issue as a minister of the gospel. Look at the verse that comes alive to him and gives him the answer. For it is written, where? In the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then look here what he says. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? And then he goes on to say, uh, verse 10, or does he say it all together for our sakes? Go with me, Deuteronomy 25. I'm laying the foundation because I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 25. So, Paul has an issue. He has a ministerial issue. It's causing, him, it's causing him a degree of stress. Look at, let's look at Deuteronomy. So you know, he, he, what he quotes is Deuteronomy 25.4. But let's get the context going up to verse 1. Let's get the context. If there is a dispute between men and they come to court that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked... Then it shall be if the the wicked man deserves to be beaten that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. 
Forty blows he may give him, and no more, lest he should exceed this, and beat him with many blows above these, and your brother be humiliated in your sight. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now let me ask you something, and I, I, want, I want you to answer me. Did you read anything there about a minister taking a salary? Paul, if you take the text out of context, you're going to be left with a con. The letter is about an ox eating while it's working. But Paul's sitting one day and he's meditating and he's thinking about this issue. He's stressed out over it. He's dealing with it. And then all of a sudden the word comes alive in his heart. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. What a strange verse. And all of a sudden Paul says, that's it. That's my answer. But the context is not about Paul. The context is not about receiving an offering. The context is not about a pastor taking a salary. But the letter is about an ox. But the spirit is about Paul. Do you see that? So don't be conned by the context. Now, the interpretation, there's only one. But Paul, one day, this scripture comes alive to him. And that's no longer the ox. That's him. All right? The Hebrews understood this. We struggle with it. And, and because in the American culture, we are an educated culture. We are black and white. All right, now I know our culture is trying to go away from that in the, in the sense of morals, but uh, we, I deal with this every day. Every single day I get messages. Grant, you know, they're asking about a verse, is it this or that? 99% of the time, it's both. But we're a black or white culture. Why? Because we put our ego is based on am I right or am I wrong? So we both can't be right. All right? But the Hebrews had what they called, they said the Torah had 70 faces. And that meant there was 70 ways to look at the Torah. All right? And 70 is just a, just a number of, of basically infinity, you could say. So, and then I want to say this. The issue with the Scripture has never been what is written. It has never been what is written. The, the issue, the problem with the Bible is not the Bible itself. What's been the problem? The hearts of men. The hearts of men. You don't believe me? Ask Jesus. In his most important teaching, according to his own words, the parable of the sower, the seed is the same in every situation. What's the variable? The heart. See, the problem is a lot of us... Now, thankfully, and I think the reason I've never struggled with this stuff is I did not come out of the deception that some of you came out of. I did not come out of the abuse that some of you came out of. All right? But the problem is a lot of us had seed sown in our heart that was coming from a corrupted, uh, a corrupted heart. We had people that was using it to, uh, to get us to serve them, to get us to do what they wanted us to do rather than what God wants us to do, to have relationship with them over relationship with God. All right? 
Listen to me. Proverbs says, the crooked heart will twist all things. The crooked heart finds no good. So the problem has never been with it is written. The problem has always been with the hearts of men who are telling you what's written. That's the issue. That's why Jesus dealt so much with uh, the hearts of men. That was Jesus' primary ministry. Now go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Because I do want to talk about grace for a minute. So let's look at grace and its relationship to the word. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now look here. Grace and peace be multiplied. Grace and peace be multiplied. So do you realize that grace can be multiplied in your life? Grace can be multiplied in your life. You can walk out of here with more grace than you walked in with. But how? And I I say this all the time. We have got to be careful as ministers of the gospel and people sharing the gospel that we are not presenting grace as automatic. Now, grace is never earned, but grace is also never automatic. All right? Let's see what I mean here. So, So grace and peace be multiplied to you how? In the knowledge of God, and of Jesus, our Lord. So how is grace multiplied in our lives? Knowledge. Okay. Knowledge of what? Go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. This is, we're still in our review, and after this we're done with the review. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. So here it is, you're made righteous by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Grace is not automatic. You have to access it. You have to have access into it. So how does grace multiply in my life? Because I keep accessing it. All right? So how do I access it? By what? Faith. Not by working for it. Not by earning it, but by faith. Now, here's where I'm getting at. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if grace comes by faith, and faith comes by the Scripture, would I be wrong to say that you access grace by the Word of God? You access grace by the Scriptures. And that's what Paul and Peter... See, Peter said grace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge. Where do you get your knowledge? I love Andrew Womack. Andrew Womack changed my life. That's not how I access grace. That's not how grace is multiplied in my life. I love Joseph Prince. That's not how grace is multiplied in my life. I love Andrew... You know, Andrew Farley introduced me to this thing. Appreciate him. That's not how I access grace. How do I access grace? By faith. How do I get faith? By the word of God. Not the word of Jeremiah. Not the word of Grant. By the word of God. And we established in the first message, is scripture the word of God? Absolutely it is. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said. That's what Peter said. All right. So, 
grace will be multiplied in our life as we submit ourselves to the Word of God. This is not about earning. You don't go to this book to earn. Well, let me read my chapters today and then grace will be multiplied in my life. No. You go to this book to learn what has been freely given. All right, you go to this book to learn what has been freely given. Now, I want to get into the practicality of this. Go with me. Go with me to 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. So, now let's look at the practicality. There are five things I want you to know about what is written. The first one I want you to know is it is written to be read. You have a Bible, so you can read it. Let no one despise your youth. Paul was, uh, Timothy was young. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Look at verse 13. Till I come, give attention to what? Reading. So the very first piece of advice that Paul gives this young minister is, read your Bible. There's no way around it. This Bible has been preserved, which proves its inspiration alone. This Bible was written so you can read it. This is going to be the hardest part of this message, all right? Because I'm just being, because it's a call for us to it's a call to discipline. The word disciple does it sound familiar? It sounds a lot like discipline, and we are called we are called to be disciples of the Lord Jesus, and disciples are disciplined. So he says, give attention. To reading. So that is the very first thing he says to exhortation to doctrine. Now notice he separates reading from doctrine. Notice he separates reading from exhortation. But let me say this. You know where you will find your exhortation? By reading. You know where you will find your doctrine? By reading. There are times you read to be exhorted. There are times you read to learn doctrine. All right, verse 14. Let's continue reading on here. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, we tend to act like we take it out. Remember, talking about context. We take it out of context and we say, well, you know, you'd neglect the gift. I'm a big believer in praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues. But we, we preach. That's how you stir it up. That is how you stir it up. Contextually, though, Every time you open this book, you stir something up in you. Every time you open this book, the gift that is in you gets stirred. You can't come to this book honestly, joyfully, and reverently without it stirring something in you. All right, let's continue reading here. Verse 15, meditate on these things. What things? That which you read. All right. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. You know what that sounds to me like? Grace 
multiplied. All right, verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Notice it's the doctrine. You don't have doctrine. There's only the doctrine. All right? Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So let me say this. You need to read the Bible. I can be as nice as I can be. Jeremiah can be as nice as he wants to be. At the end of the day, you need to read the Bible. You do. You need to read the Bible. We can end the message right now. If you'll take that, go home and do it, we're good. You need to read the Bible. Well, I, I, I can't read good. I understand that. That's okay. We've got way too many audio options out there now. right? There's plenty of... Angie's been talking to me about how she's been listening a lot to the Bible. Logan's talking to me about how he listens to the Bible. Listen, same concept. Because what you're doing is... You're gathering the information. Let me say this. You guys know that, because I, I, I talk about it all the time, I've had the same routine since I was 16 years old. I wake up, I'm always reading through the Bible. I wake up, my goal is five chapters. If I don't hit it, it's no, it's no big thing. But when I read in that morning time, I never, I don't know if I've ever been reading and thought, that's a good teaching. I'm going to teach that. I don't know if that's ever happened. I look at my reading, my, this, just me reading. It's me gathering information. And that information gives the Spirit something to work with. Paul already knew Deuteronomy 25.4. He didn't have a leather-bound book that he was carrying around. But because he had gathered that information and placed it in his heart, one day when he needed it, it came alive. And I shared with you, um, last week, my testimony about Graham. Graham was three or four years old, wasn't speaking a word. One day, may your speech be seasoned with salt and grace came alive in my heart. Suddenly, it was no longer about an apologetic thing. It was about Graham. All right? Uh, the, the, I know of a minister who their child started losing their hair. And they read in Matthew 24, not a hair on your head shall perish. Suddenly, it was no longer an end time verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, it was about her daughter. All right? So, so, we just need to gather. Because, listen, I can't tell you how many times we struggled. Let me put it this way. Do you struggle this morning in here? If you're being honest, don't answer, but just in your heart. Do you struggle to hear the voice of God? Maybe the reason you struggle to hear the voice of God is because you're not on the right frequency. He's speaking to you, but you're not on the right frequency. How do you get on the right frequency? Get in the Word. Get in the Scripture. And I'm not talking about... And listen, this is something... I want to say this. Um, something... Don't... Find what works for you. Don't, don't hear what I just said, my, my thing, and be like, okay, I'm going to do that. Don't, don't do that. Find what works for you. Um, and I'm going to give you another piece of advice. Don't ask anybody what they do. Now, if you, if you really need to find do what you want to, but can I just be honest with you? Every time I've been in the environment where someone says, can you tell me how I should do my morning time, how I should do my Bible time, whatever, 
Everybody in the room's got an answer. And everybody in the room does it differently than the person that just spoke to them. And I can watch that person who's so passionate and ready to get this journey started when they ask the question, suddenly getting wore out by the answers. And they're defeated before they get started. Don't ask anybody. Ask God. Just do it. Pick, pick a... Man, if you want a Bible... I, I'm a big believer in a Bible reading plan because it can help you get a discipline goal. Right? And then you can eventually get to that place. But anyways, or maybe you just want to start with a book in the Bible. Start with, start, start with John. Start with Galatians. Start with, just start. That, I mean, there is nothing more practical than me telling you just start reading your Bible. That's it. You're not earning. Remember, your heart's got to be established in faith righteousness. I'm not earning anything. This doesn't make me more right with God. But it's giving the Spirit of God something to work with in your life. All right? So, and, and so like I said, it's not a competition. Find what works for you and just stick to it. Just do it. Just do it. If you've struggled with the Bible, find an audio option. Find whatever it is, but just do it. And don't feel like i got to get a chapter in. Listen, if you can get a verse in. Because, listen, even though I say... Like, I've, I've had this routine of five chapters a day. Listen, some days I wake up and there's already a verse burning in my heart. And I don't read those chapters. I meditate, I meditate on that verse. I go look at it. I read it. I get the context of it. Uh, then there are times I'm reading. I might get two chapters in. Something comes alive to me. I stop. I'm after that, that, that life. Right? I'm, I'm after the feeding all right, I'm not after a checklist. I'm not after... People ask me all the time, because they hear me say that, Grant, how many times have you read the Bible through? I genuinely don't know. I can tell you I've had that same routine since I was 16, but it's never been about numbers to me. I've never been like, oh, yes, I did. Now, don't get me wrong, every time I finish Revelation 22, it's like, that feels good. Discipline feels good. Like if you've done, like if, you, if you're disciplined in, in like working out, exercise, eating healthy, like it feels good, doesn't it? When you can, like man, that feels good. And it gets you, it gets you going. It develops something in your life that suddenly, man, like when I don't start my morning reading my Bible, my wife will tell you I become the grouchiest dude to deal with that day. Like just straight up. You know, ain't nobody going to know I pastor because I'm just grouchy all of a sudden. Now, do I have to be that way? No, but I'm just saying you can get to where this becomes a part of just who you are. And it's more important to you than sleep at night. It's more important to you than the breakfast you eat through the day. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All right, so let's go to John chapter 20. So, it is written... To be read. The next one is it is written. This is the shortest one we're going to spend time on. It is written to be believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these are written that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Let me tell you something. Faith is not a struggle. And if, if faith is a struggle to you, it doesn't have to be. 
it's not a formula that we work up. Faith is not a formula that we, be, that, you know, it's not a checklist we mark off. Faith, you can get to the place where faith is effortless. Because as you begin to just, there's just something about this book. When you go to it with the right heart, faith just, what's Romans 10, 17 say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you spend time in the scripture, faith is going to come. If we struggle with faith and we're saying, no, no, I've been hearing the word, we're calling the Holy Spirit through Paul a liar. Faith is supposed to be effortless in the sense of how it comes. Um, but remember, it comes with this discipline. All right. So there's just something about this book. This book is it's a book of faith. You're going to tell me that you believe this book, but yet you struggle to believe in your personal situation. You're going to tell me that you believe that there is a God who you've never seen, and He created everything you can see with His words in seven days. Actually created in six days. You're going to tell me that you believe that there was a man 100 years old, and his wife, 90, and they had a baby. You're going to tell me that you believed that there was a, a nation coming out of Egypt, came to the Red Sea, a man simply lifted up a staff, and that the waters parted and they walked down on dry ground. You're going to tell me you believe that. You're going to tell me that you believe that a virgin had a son who went on to preach for three, three and a half years, that he died, was buried, and three days later came up out of the grave. You believe that, but yet allergy season, you just can't get the faith to overcome allergy season. And you know why I'm using that? Guess who deals with allergy season, right? This guy. You're going to tell, see, but this book is written, it is impregnated with faith. And your heart in your spirit, you're one, with, you're one with Jesus. And when you read the scriptures, when you read the word, that faith that is in you begins to be activated. It begins to be energized. Philemon verse 6 is probably my favorite verse in the New Testament. He says that the communication or the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledging of every good work in you, which is in Christ Jesus. You don't need faith. You don't need more faith. You have faith. But now that faith can grow. Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians. Your faith can grow. But what, what Paul tells Philemon there is that faith just needs to be activated. And when you read the scriptures, it activates faith. Faith doesn't have to be a struggle. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1. So, so the Bible needs to be read. The Bible needs to be believed. Now look here. This is the next one, and this one is where life is found. Joshua chapter 1. So it is written to be read, it is written to be believed, it is written to be meditated on. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. 
Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you, as I said to Moses, or I have given you. Verse 4, from the wilderness and, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for this people. You shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper over you. So I read that to give you the context. Moses is the one who led them out of Egypt. They thought Moses was going to be the one to lead them into the promised land. But yet Moses, here God begins by saying, listen, Moses, dead. Think about the weight of that moment on Joshua. And he's saying, you are the one that's going to lead these people into Israel, into the promised land. But here's what's amazing to me about this is Moses, as far as we know, never fought a fight. Now, we know that he lifted his hands. He watched. He was, he was a leader in fights, but we don't know that he actually ever fought in a battle. He's like, yeah, Moses never had to fight, but you, you got a lot of fighting ahead of you. Now, think about that. Think about you're told, let's say the president calls you today and says, listen, you're now ahead of the military, and we're going into war yesterday. What do you tell him you need? I need equipment. I need strategy. I need soldiers. Right? I need counsel. There's all these things you can think of that you need. But God comes to Joshua and he doesn't, he doesn't tell him anything about how many soldiers he'll need. He doesn't tell him anything about how to make weapons. He gives him one thing. Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So they think, Joshua probably thinks, I need you a strategy. I need soldiers. I need weapons. God says, no, you need to meditate. You need to meditate. And not just every now and then. You need to meditate in it day and night. Can I give you another piece of advice when I talk about reading the Bible? Something I do every night is in my mind as I'm laying in bed, I think of a scripture to roll over in my mind. I recently did that with Psalm 23.1. I went to bed. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God woke me up at 3.30 in the morning, and I was receiving so much revelation that I, I didn't know what to do with it. And now that's what I'm teaching on Thursday nights. We just began uh, this Thursday as I taught on Psalm 23. So there's six verses in Psalm 23. I made it through, the Lord is mine. That's it. In one hour of teaching, I made it through, the Lord is mine. I didn't even get the shepherd, just the Lord is mine. All right? So, what is that? That's meditating in it. This is where the life is. Now, like I said, you need to read the Bible. 
Why? Because you don't know what to meditate on if you don't know what's written. So what, find, reading what is written is step one. Believing it is step two. Step three, and I, I hate to be saying it like that, but hear me. This is meditate in it. This is where you will find life. This is where you will find nourishment. This is where you will find encouragement. Listen, do you know if, you, if you're dealing with fear and anxiety, and I've been there, I had to get to this place where when I was dealing with anxiety, I had to get to this place that said, the only reason I'm dealing with this is because I'm not meditating in the Word of God. Now, I know that seems rough, but Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. So God quickened that verse to me, and you know what the conclusion I had to reach was? Because I've read it, and because I believe it, if I'm not in perfect peace, my mind isn't staying on him. It might be visiting him, but it's not staying on him. You know something, this is a little, this is free, you're welcome in advance. Uh, you know that we said, and I've, when I say we, I mean me, okay? Uh, I've got up and said, you know, the first thing that happened when man sinned was he feared. Now that's true, it's the first emotion he felt, but that's not the first thing that happened. The first thing that happened was his eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. The first thing that happened was they became conscious of their self. And then what happened? Then they were afraid. If you're in fear, if you're in anxiety, I've been there. Okay, let me say it this way. I've been in fear. I've been in, in anxiety. You know why? I was conscious of self. I was focused on self. I was meditating on self. But if you meditate in the Word, the result will be perfect peace. And let me say this, the word, so here, he's telling Joshua, here's this, God, let me say this, God has a huge plan for every individual in here. There is not one person in here this, this afternoon who wasn't born with a purpose, a divine destiny straight from the throne of heaven. You cannot get there without meditating in the word. You can't. Because remember how I said I read it, I read it in the positive, then I look at it in the negative. So if he says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, and if you'll meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, he says then you will have good success. You know what that tells me? If it departs from my mouth, meaning I don't speak it, if I'm not meditating on it day and night, if I'm not observing to do it, I won't have good success. So your purpose... It's tied in this verse. It is tied in meditating in the Word. And the word meditate, do you know it could also be translated imagine? Anxiety and fear comes because of your imagination. That's it. Meditation is when you begin to use your imagination and see what God sees. Notice you don't meditate on it. You meditate in it. What's that mean? Suddenly, I'm Paul, and the church at Corinth is saying, I have no right to take up an offering. All of a sudden, I'm the ox. Meditate in it. 
And let me say this. You need to find a way to engage the Scriptures with your heart. Now, for some people, this might come through, through art. Maybe you paint. Maybe you draw. Some people, it might come through. You have a Bible. You mark it up. You write in it. I'm a Bible collector. That, that hurts my heart to think that I could write in my Bible. But uh, I'm just kidding. But here's something. I just want to show you this. This is something I do. I never, nobody's ever seen this. This is something I do. You need to find a way to engage the Scripture. This is what I do. Now, I'm sorry for, you know, some of you can't see this, but this is just on my iPad. This is, this is me. I have 40 pages here of notes I've made on faith righteousness. This was not to teach out of. This was for my heart. And here I've got Romans 1, 6, 17, and I began to circle things. I began to write definitions. See, I know what all these colors means. I know they're, they're a different language to you. I know what each circle means. And here's like all the verses. All right? You need to find a way somehow to engage the Scripture. That, this for me is meditation. Because I'm like, okay... Okay, I'm reading for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, for in it, in it, so I'll circle that, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. I circle that. Why? It has to be a revelation. Have you noticed that? Faith righteousness is the result of a revelation. So it's just find a way to engage the scriptures. Again, find what works for you. Be original. Do whatever. Man, if, if it's marking a Bible up, if it's taking notes, if it's drawing pictures, if it's, if it's listening to music and just using your imagination, I mean, it's, up to, it's between you. and God knows how you're wired. And you're wired differently than I am, so it might not look like that. But find a way to engage the Scriptures. And out of that, has come all my teaching on faith righteousness. But I didn't do this to teach it. I don't go to this book to teach you anything. See, here's the problem with legalism. Legalism reads this book and says, yeah, that, that's for you. Grace reads this and says, this is between me and God. See, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 says, For everything is naked before Him with whom we have to do. He's talking about the Word of God. Right? Derek Prince, Derek Prince was uh, a, Cambridge, a teacher at Cambridge, one of the, or Oxford, I can't remember, one of the premier uh, colleges, universities in the world still to this day. Derek Prince did not believe this book. And Derek Prince said, You know what, I'm going to read this book and prove it wrong. And Derek Prince became one of the premier, you know, no matter how you feel about him, he became one of the most premier Bible teachers of the, the 20th century. And Derek Prince said when they, when they asked him, you know, what happened? I thought you were reading it to prove it wrong. He said, when I read it, I found that it was reading me. Okay, so, so listen, this book, when I read something and it's corrective, I don't think, that's for Adam, talking to me that's my reflection in the mirror all right so we need to we need to meditate in it all right let's go to psalm 1 verse 1 uh verse 1 
kind of along the same thing, but I want to point something out over here. So it need, the Bible is, it is written to be read. It is written to be believed. It is written to be meditated on. I just want to say this really quick. It is written to be spoken. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you know this was written by David? And I've, I've taught entire messages on this when I teach on faith righteousness. There was a righteousness which is of the law. But anyone, even those who are under the dispensation of the law, if they came to God in faith, that's where their righteousness was. It exceeded the, the law of righteousness. And David was a man whose heart was established in faith righteousness. And that which, the, that which many of us hate or just struggle with, David delighted in it. If you struggle with the law, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, I do want to say this. David wrote something in the Psalms. He said, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. I pray that every single day. I pray that every single day. But look here. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates when? Day and night. There's no shortcut. All right, verse 3. Or, yeah. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know what that sounds like to me? Increased grace. But how do you get there? You meditate in the word day and night. Now, the word meditate here actually means to ponder while speaking to oneself. The word of God was written... To be spoken. Alright? I shared this on Thursday night. Something David did was the Lord is my shepherd. And then you can read in other places where he said the Lord is my light. He's my strength. The promises of God will not benefit you until they are yours. In your heart. When you're personalizing, personalizing them. Every day I wake up. I read the scriptures and then I have my prayer time. You may do it different. That's okay. I'm just sharing with you how I do it. Um, because what I want, I want this to light a fire in you. And you're like, I cannot wait to dive into this book. I can't wait to meditate in this book. So I do my reading and then I, I'm sitting there. I see myself as the prophet of my house, as the priest of my house, as the king of my house. Now listen, Keisha, she's a believer. She's also the prophet of the house, the priest of the house. It's the right of every new covenant believer. But in that moment, who's, doing, who, who's sitting there praying? It's me. I can only deal with me. So I'm sitting there as the prophet of my house, as the priest of my house, as the king of my house, and I begin to bless each member of my family. I begin to bless Keisha. I begin to bless Graham. I begin to bless Finley. And then I move on, you know, sometimes the Lord brings people to my heart. But every morning, I bless this church. And I think of every person that I can, and I speak your name, and I bless you. And if, I, if you didn't come to my mind, because listen, I know there's, we, we're, we're blessed to have a lot of people online and things. I begin to say, Lord, anyone that's connected to this church, I bless them today. I call it naming the day. I'm declaring what today is. 
Today is the day of the Lord. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Right? We have that authority. But you don't know what to speak, you don't know what to say if you don't read. And as you read it, and as you believe it, and as you meditate in it, suddenly you know what to speak. Every morning I would wake up and I would say, Graham's speech is always seasoned with grace. That he may know how to give an answer to every man. Right? So it just it's meant to be spoken. When you begin to speak the word, that's when things will go to another level for you. That's when you will see the increased grace. Why? Because you're, it's going from just being pages or letters on a page to truth that is coming forth out of your heart. All right? And I've done entire messages on this, but there is a time to be speaking to write it on your heart, and there is a time to speak it to come out of your heart. All right? But I've done entire teachings on that. I want to, I want to get to this last one. So it's written to be read. It's written to be believed. It is written to be meditated upon. It's written to be spoken. I lied when I said that reading is going to be the one that's going to make people the most mad. This, this one is it, so brace yourselves. It is written to be obeyed. Go with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Now, we all know this verse, but I, I, I want to... And listen, I'm about to say some things. If you struggle with it, that's okay. You know, when I first got saved, the teacher that I was under, he used to say, listen, if you struggle with something I teach, put it up on the shelf. That, listen, I, I don't teach one thing to this church. I guard my heart in this area. I, I never want to teach you anything from the position I have to be right. And I see they're wrong and I'm going to get up, defend myself, and show them I'm right. I never want to do that. I never want to get up here with an axe to grind. I never want to get here out of a selfish motive to let me show you, if you could just see it my way. Everything I minister behind this pulpit and any pulpit that's open to me, I want to minister out of love for you. And what will bless you. And what will change your life what will increase your capacity to receive the grace of God in your life. All right? So, if I just said that, it could get bumpy in here. All right? For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under what? Grace. So, sin doesn't have dominion over those who are under... Now, listen. Remember what I said about grace is not automatic? This verse proves it. Because if you're living in sin, the problem is you've placed yourself under law. You've not placed yourself under grace. Now, as far as God is concerned, are you under grace? Absolutely. You're in the new covenant. There is not a believer in this world who is under the old covenant. But in their heart, they believe they are. So they relate to God and other people as if they're under the old covenant. All right? So for you are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15 what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Now look here, this is why we're here. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? This is one of those things. Are we sons or are we slaves? You are both. But under the New Testament or under the New Covenant, you are a slave, you are a love slave. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, see, you miss stuff like this if you don't read the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when a slave, when it was his time to be free, if he said, you know what, I love my master so much, which tells us that slavery is very different in the Old Testament than what we think of in the Civil War. All right? Um, I love my master so much, I want to stay here. That's the kind of slaves we're called to be. I, I know I'm, I, listen, are you free to sin? As a new covenant believer, listen, you actually are. But that will always produce death in your life. Saved or not saved. Sin always produces death. You're not free from anything until you're free to do it. And you don't do it. That's true liberty. All right? So look here. And what do I mean when I say you're free to do it? I'm saying it, it would not change your standing with God. All right, so you see that? Um, do you not know that who you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, look here, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So notice obedience under the new covenant and listen, for people like David and, and anybody who walked with God by faith, anytime they obeyed, it was from the heart. If they were, if they were relating to God by faith. All right. New covenant uh, obedience has to come from the heart because anything else is a dead work. All right, go with me to James chapter 1 and verse 21. We're almost done. James 1 verse 21. I want to make a point here. The scripture... Let me read this first. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness what? The implanted what? Word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, how many's heard this verse and it's, you've, it's been used to scare you to death? But look here, I want to show you something. Verse 23, this is powerful. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I'm sharing this to say this is not a performance scripture as much as it is an identity one. This book is the only thing you can look at and see who you truly are. That's it. That's what he's talking about. He said, listen, you're like, you're like a natural man looking in the mirror. This is your mirror. And when you look in it, you know whose reflection you're seeing? Yours. Even, even if you're being convicted by something, it's your reflection. All right? So, so this is the only way to see the real you. Now, let me share something. Now, this is where, and, and pray for me right now. Pray for clarity because I, I want you to get this. So, Grant, how do you read the law? With liberty. Now, I know people say that the perfect law of liberty is the New Testament. James didn't have a New Testament. He's reading that Old Testament, but now you know how he's reading it? With the veil removed. Now he could say, I look into the perfect law of liberty. What's liberty look like? Liberty looks like I'm reading the law, 
And, I, and when I see it, where I used to maybe feel condemned, where I used to feel guilt, where I used to, to, to feel shame, now I look at it and say, my standing with God is not based on that. My standing with God is not based on me obeying that. All right? But what about obedience from the heart? Listen to me. I want to say two things. The New Testament differentiates the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. We read that in 2 Corinthians 3. Paul in Romans chapter 7 actually differentiates the law and the commandments. The law is holy. The commandment is holy, just, and good. Now, it's interesting, though, he said commandment singular, not plural. Why? Because every commandment God has ever given, it's been for one purpose, love. Love has always been the commandment. You shall not murder. You know what the motive was there? Love. You shall not steal. You know what the motive there was? Love. You shall not commit adultery. You know what the murder, uh, the, the intent there was? Love. Anything God has told anyone, as far as a commandment goes, its purpose has always been love. So I know, so if I don't go to the law and I don't read it as a checklist I have to keep for righteousness, if I don't read it as, you know, these things, how do, what does it mean to read it in liberty? I read it as the wisdom of God. I read it as the morals of God. Um, so let me, let, let me put it this way. Cause, and I was going to get to this. Yeah, they're excited up there. All right. Those are probably my kids. Uh, the difference in the... And here's why I said that about the law and the commandments. I want to say this to you. Hear, hear my heart. The commandments have never changed because the commandments have always been love. Love will never tell you to break even one of those old covenant commandments. All right? But you're not made right by them. But here, here, here's what you need to know. So the commandment is different from the law. And so when I go and I read the commandments, I don't look at it again. So, again, hold on. Let me, I was trying to bring this clarity. There's a difference in the law and the commandment. The only difference in the Old Covenant and New Covenant as far as the commandments go is in the Old Covenant, the commandments was written in stone. In the New Covenant, those commandments are written on the heart. That's the only way you could obey them from the heart. Now, I hear people say, yeah, but now that's not the laws written on your heart. You Listen to me, grace people. You want some context? Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33, where the the new covenant is prophesied. He said, I will write my laws on their heart. Do you know what that word laws is? It's it's the Hebrew word Torah. So he's saying, I will write my Torah on your heart. So the commandments now, but I'm not going. I'm not reading the commandments. Oh, God. I can't do that. I can't do that because it's written over here. No, now it's like, here's how I read it. And I'm just going to give you just as plain of an example as I can. Let's say there is a temptation to cheat on my wife. There is a temptation to commit adultery. If I just so happen to be reading the Bible that day and I'm reading through Exodus 20 
and I read, you shall not commit adultery. I don't read it and think, oh, God, I can't do that. I can't do that. If I do that, if I do that, no. I look at it and I say, this is what's written on my heart. This is not what I have to do, but this is who, what the real me wants to do. So I'm not reading it to say, well, here's what I got to do. I'm reading it, and now I say, this is what I really want to do. This is who I am. This is the real me. You know why that helps you? Because even if you do do that thing, you can always come back and say, that wasn't me. That wasn't the real me. And that's where restoration comes in. And that's how you overcome. That is looking into the perfect law of liberty. See, anything God's spoken, it's perfect. But the problem is we don't go to it in liberty. We go to it in bondage. No, you can read it in liberty and read it as this is who I am. This is my mirror. All right, this is my mirror. So, And you know what that is? Remember Hebrews 4, verse 12, says that the Scripture, the Word of God, will divide spirit and soul. What I just described to you, that example I gave, is the Scripture dividing spirit and soul. So if I'm tempted to do that thing, and I read in the law, you shouldn't do that thing. And that law's in my heart. You know what God is showing me? That's just your soul. That's your flesh. That's not you. All right? The spirit of you says, I love my wife. I want to be faithful to my spouse. All right? So it, it's, that makes all the difference. Because James said, but now if you read, you should not do this thing. And you go do it, your problem is you forgot who you are. So it's got to be rooted in identity. And when you understand that, there's not one part of this book you have to be afraid of. Because I don't read in the Old Covenant where, you know, so if I read where, you know, God... Uh, struck down Uzzah, you know, in, in, in the book of First Chronicles. I don't get nervous and say, okay, if I do something wrong, God's going to strike me down. No. I'm justified by faith. I'm under the perfect law of liberty. But what I, you know what I do learn? Remember, that's the letter, what's the spirit? God has a certain way he wants things done. And I'm going to do things the way God wants things done. Because that's where blessing is. That's where peace is. And whenever I go against what God wants, I know he's not going to strike me down. I'm under the new covenant. I'm one with him. I know that's not going to happen, but I guarantee you know what the result's going to be? Death. Not now, death, not, nece- not necessarily physical death, but I guarantee you there's going to be some negative consequences. There's going to be, not from God, but listen, the new covenant did not undo seed time and harvest. Right. Seed time and harvest was not until the cross. Seed, time, and harvest went through the cross. All right, and seed, time, and harvest, Jeremiah did a series on that, will continue as long as there's an earth. You can debate on that, but as long as there's an earth, seed, time, and harvest will be be intact. We're going to finish here. Psalm 119, verse 9. Did that make sense to you? Did, did, Did that help you understand how you can read the commandments, how you can read the law? All right. So I want to read this. This is what I hope your life begins to look like after the last few weeks when we have, we've studied the value and the importance of the Scriptures. Let me say, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. I'm telling you, if you want your love for the Scripture to increase, 
begin to, if you want a place to start meditating on, start here. Don't feel the need to read through it all in one sitting. Just begin to meditate on a verse of this a day. I went through a season where I read one of these each day. But anyway, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? That verse was quickened to me as a teenager. And I, I began to see this is how I cannot go down the road that so many of my friends are going down. Verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, so there's the speaking, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Look here. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Increased grace. David, even despite the, the sin, even despite all these things, because David had not only his heart established in faith righteousness, but his heart was also established in the word of God. Because of that, David always came back to God. Always. David's heart was full of the Word of God. And Jesus said, if that's what we'll do, we're going to experience that same thing. Increased grace. What's, what's Jesus called it? A hundredfold. Thirty, sixty, hundredfold. A life beyond anything you could desire or dream of. Amen. Has that blessed you guys? All right, let me pray real quick, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Jeremiah. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for increased capacity of revelation, of grace. Lord, I pray for increased grace in each one of our lives, but that will only come as we look to your word, as we open our hearts to the scriptures. And Lord, I just pray for anyone in here. If there's been a part of the scriptures they're afraid of, that they, uh, that's been abused in their lives, Lord, I pray that you redeem that very part of the scriptures to them and that they will begin to see the scriptures through the lens of faith and righteousness, through the lens of liberty, through the lens of the new covenant. As for wisdom for them, Father, show them how to cultivate this word-soaking life in their everyday life. Give them wisdom. Show them how. And uh, I just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Leave this mic aside. Turn this thing down. Sorry. Good night. Hallelujah. We're there now. Good job, Grant. That was great. And let's let's take a moment here. Does anybody have any questions? Anything that anyone might want some clarity on? I just want to make sure everybody understands real clear. Um, if you have any questions, ask a question. Uh, let me just say this. Before, if anyone has a question, just lift your hand up. We'll talk about it real quick. It's important that you understand that. This is the, when you, if you get some understanding on it, you can win in life. I mean, for real. I mean, like this, we're not just punching our time card to be here on church, man. I mean, that's not how we do it around here. We want, we want, to, we want to win. We want to have a relationship with God. If you are trying to do something, anything, anything, if you're trying to do anything to be made right with God, that is the wrong way to handle the law. And it will bring a curse into your life. 
You can't do something to be made right with God. You can't do something to make God love you more. Those things are all settled in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You are loved by God. Uh, and he loved you actually before you believed in his son, right? And so Jesus makes you righteous. God loves you just because he loves you and he is love. But then everything God has told you to do is how the earth operates in its wisdom. And so when you go against what he's told you to do, which really is always just a step outside of love, then um, it'll mess things up. When, when, when Scripture tells me to love my wife as Christ loved me, if I don't love my wife, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. If I don't love my wife, it doesn't mean that I'm not right with God. But if I don't love my wife the way Jesus loves me, my marriage isn't going to be as good as it could be. Sometimes I'm going to do that well, sometimes I'm not because I'm human. And, and all the instruction that God gives, it's wisdom. And so, uh, does anybody have any questions concerning that? Everybody good? So we'll make sure. And then I just want to t- uh, say a, a couple more things real quick. Man, they did a study on people that read their Bible once a week and the impact it had. Had some impact. Twice a week, some impact. Three times a week, some impact. Four times a week. Once you got to four times a week, dramatic changes were recorded. 60% increase in happiness. 60% decrease in uh, heaviness and depression. I mean, that, that these are recorded studies. So if you can, because notice that scripture said, make it a lifestyle, right? And, and we, if you can make it a lifestyle, I, I just dare you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the impact that it has is phenomenal because everything that you see was made by these written words. And what if there was an energy source that God had for you that was not dependent upon the world around you? What if you could be a tree that was planted by a river and your life did not have to be impacted by the, the, the economics of this country, by the political climate of this country, by what your neighbor's doing, by what your sister's doing. Nothing around you has the ability to impact you if you are connected to a life source that created this world. You find that in the Scriptures. It's just truth. And then one final thing, and I just about discipline real quick, because I think it's important to share. Um, how much did, this is, this is Adam and Catherine, and they, uh, this is his fiance, Catherine's his fiance, I'm going to ask him a question. How much discipline does it require for you to spend time with her? Zero. <laughs> Why? Because he loves her and wants to be with her and wants to be around her. There's a relationship that's established at this stage in, in your life, you love to be together. And it's and and every chance you get, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have that right. Now, so it requires zero discipline to pursue a relationship that you enjoy. Right now, I've been married for 23 years, and my wife we we have to pursue time with each other because we have we have all these kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like like we have to schedule and move and plan and it's like here just come sit on the couch with me for 5 minutes. And then the kids are like, "What? Are they are they touching each other?" Oh, heck no. We got to we got to jump in between them, you know. And uh and so now 
we have to make time for each other on purpose in order for it to happen, right? They're, you're not at that stage yet, but there'll come a time when that, as you, you know, have kids and all the kind of stuff that you guys do, if you guys choose that route, there's going to be a decision-making process to make that happen. Discipline is great, but it's not the highest level. Desire is the highest level. When the desire comes, it's a tree of life. There, and, 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 your, and your desire will follow your discipline. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? I used to hate apples, okay? I have started eating apples on purpose because they're good for me. Now I love apples because my desire will follow my discipline, right? Same thing with exercise. Like when I first started exercising, I hated it, right? Now most of the time I want to be there. Every once in a while I don't, and that's when discipline carries me through. Everybody tracking me here? So there may be a time when you, in a disciplined sense, set up a time so you can have relationship with God. How I many of you know everything's demanding your attention? Everything wants your attention. So you've got to purposefully make a decision. I'm going to spend time with God. This is how I'm going to do it. But as you do it, your desire will follow that, and then there'll be a want to. I would say most of the time when you get up, you want to, right? Most of the time when I'm about to spend time with God, I want to. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't want to work out. Sometimes I don't want to spend time with God. Sometimes my wife's getting on my nerves. Come on now. My kid's getting on my nerves. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting on my nerves. <laughs> I'm getting on my own nerves, you know? But in those times, discipline will carry you to a place that's healthy for you. So you establish a discipline, but, don't, but you won't live in a discipline because the new covenant's out of the heart. And it actually will follow a place of desire. Is everybody tracking me on that? Okay, cool. It's a fantastic word. So anyway, Father, blessings on our day in Jesus' name. Amen. Got the